Hi, this is Alan Burrow for Faith Working. The sermon you are about to hear is one I preached at the King's Congregation in Meridian, Idaho. For more sermon podcasts, or for the Faith Working radio show podcasts, go to faithworking.com. To subscribe to all our Faith Working podcasts, go to the iTunes store and search for Faith Working under Podcasts. For information about the King's Congregation, go to the church website at thekingscongregation.com. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These are some of the greatest promises in Scripture, and Jesus gives them to us solely to encourage us to keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. You might wonder why we would need such encouragement, but it's clear that we do, or else Jesus would not make such a point of giving it. When you think about it, we become discouraged and give up on asking, seeking, and knocking very easily. One of the main reasons is that we feel unworthy. Well, we are unworthy, but what does that have to do with it? We're unworthy of everything in the Christian life from start to finish. Jesus talks about the Father giving us good gifts, not good wages or good desserts. Another main reason we become discouraged and give up is that we fail to understand the importance of perseverance. Paul and James both identify perseverance as a key quality necessary to us becoming sons and daughters of God in the full sense of the word. And as a result, the Father often delays in answering us precisely so that we will persevere and become more like Christ in the process. What this means is that it is not only of the Father's love when He answers us with good gifts, it is equally of the Father's love when He makes us wait. And when He makes us wait, He wants us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Thanks for listening. This morning we come in the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 7, verse 7, and we will consider verse 7 down through verse 11. This is still Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is the Word of God, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. This is what Jesus says to His disciples then and to us now. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Let us pray. God and Father, we pray that now You'd bring Your Word to us new by Your Spirit, that we too might be Your disciples, that we too might be Your children that we too might receive good things from You and seek what You lead us to find and have doors open for us as You lead us to knock. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we have some of the greatest promises in Scripture. Some of the broadest promises, some of the most direct, and some of the most personal promises are extended to us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And notice here that Jesus doesn't specify what we're going to receive. He simply specifies across the board that our requests are going to be favorably answered. Now, God doesn't give promises for no reason. 
And he especially doesn't give promises this great and this personal for no reason. Why is he giving us these promises? And what stands out about this passage and is what really drives this whole passage is that God wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. He wants us to knock. And he has given us these great promises completely to motivate us, to encourage us to be askers, seekers, knockers. Why does God desire this for us so much that He gives us these promises? I mean, why doesn't He just give us all that we need? Or all that He would like us to have. All the good things He would like us to have. Jesus has already told us in chapter 6 of Matthew that the Father knows everything we need before we ask Him. So why doesn't He just give us what we need and all the good things that He wants to give us without us needing to ask? Well, it's this recurring theme that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. That through Christ, God has called us into His family. He's adopted us into His family. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's restored us to a right relationship with us. And we're His children. And He wants to develop this relationship with us. He seeks a certain kind of relationship with us. That's what salvation is all about us being brought into a certain kind of relationship. There's no such thing as being forgiven and then remaining distant from God. It's not like a criminal in a courtroom that the judge pronounces a sentence of not guilty and then the criminal is carted out. And there's this distance between the judge and the criminal. No, God pronounces us innocent and and righteous and clean and forgiven in Christ so that He can draw us near and bring us into His very household. And He wants a particular kind of relationship with us. And so Jesus, when He says, the Father knows everything you need before you ask Him, that's not a disincentive for prayer. Jesus offers that as an incentive prayer. That's why that we should draw near. And here today, in these promises, He gives us more incentive. The Father is seeking this kind of relationship, a father-child relationship, a very close one, a relationship in which the fact that the Father, God Almighty, is so far above us, does not stop us from coming right into His presence, asking Him to give us something to enable us to find something we're seeking, to open a door for us on which we are knocking. So this is important, obviously. Jesus thought it was very important. So let's look more closely at what Jesus is uh, encouraging us to do. First of all, whom are we supposed to ask? Now that would seem like a very obvious question. Obviously we're supposed to ask the Father. But... We need to call uh, our attention to that point because sometimes it's not so obvious to us in our practice. Sometimes as we go through life, there's things that we need, we think we need. There's things that we desire that we think are good things. There may be things that we're seeking to find. There may be doors that we're knocking on. But we're not primarily knocking with the Father or seeking with the Father or asking the Father. And so we need to call to our attention the fact that all of our asking, all of our seeking, 
And all of our knocking is to ultimately be directed to the Father, who is the only one who can give us what we ask or enable us to seek what we find or open the door on which we are knocking. If we get the fact that all of life is from God and all of life is lived unto God, then we understand that just because we may be talking to somebody here, we may be knocking on a door with a particular person or a particular company, or we may be seeking something that involves other people, we may have, uh, be asking other people for things, that does not change the fact that ultimately, at the deepest level, all of our asking, all of our seeking, and all of our knocking needs to be directed toward the only one who can give. And that is the Father. And so we need to make sure that no matter what our circumstances, that is to whom our requests, our seeking, and our knocking is directed. Next, let's ask, what are we to ask for? What are we to seek? What are we to knock for? Now, Jesus assumes here that we're asking for good things. For he says in verse 11 that that's the, what the Father promises to give us. He promises to give us good things. He does not promise to give us a Porsche, even though that's a good thing. He promises to give us good things. In other words, these are not morally neutral promises. These are not blank checks for our selfishness or whatever whim may come into our minds. The Father wants us to ask Him for good things. He wants us to seek good things and ask us, ask that He cause us to find them. He wants us to knock on good doors and ask that He open them for us. Now, what does that mean? Well, obviously, this is where the will of God and the love of God all intersect with our desires as His children. One of the things that he does with us in children as he develops us is he brings our will to where our will lines up with his will. Now, that means that we're seeking his glory, but it also means that we're seeking to enjoy him forever since that's what we've been created for. And it also means that we understand that seeking the will of God, uh, seeking the kingdom of God, doesn't mean eating Brussels sprouts all the time. That's not what it means, because God gives us lots of luxuries and lots of good things that are far beyond our basic necessities. Jesus has already taught us to pray for our daily bread, because that's the way God created us. He created us with these needs, and so our needs are not a problem. And we know that God loves to give us far more than we actually need. And so we're to go to Him, we're to seek those good things that are to the glory of God, and we're to seek those things which in the providence of God and in the wisdom of God would be a blessing to us, to His people, and to the world. Why should we seek these things? Well, first of all, because the Father wants to give us good things. He wants to give us good things. He promises to answer us with good things, and that's what He assures us of in this passage. And he calls on our own experience at this point. Do you find it hard to give good gifts to your children? Are you reluctant to give good things to your children or to your grandchildren? No, quite the opposite. We seek every opportunity to give good, give good things to our children and our grandchildren. And basically Jesus is saying exactly. And remember, you're fallen. Remember, you're selfish. Remember, ultimately, you're a very self-centered being. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says you're evil. 
But so strong is the bond and the affection between parent and child that even fallen, selfish people look for any opportunity to give their children and their grandchildren good things. Exactly is what Jesus is saying to us. And he says, remember that your heavenly Father is not fallen. He is not selfish. And furthermore, he's not limited in his resources. There are many times we want to give something good to our children, but we can't because we don't have the resources to obtain it. But our Father in Heaven never has that problem. He always has an unlimited supply of good things to give. And the second reason is that because the Father wants us to have this kind of relationship with Him that we've talked about. And that close personal relationship, father to child, is one in which we ask and we seek and we knock and we do so freely, not hesitantly, Freely, willingly, often, and we do so persistently. All of this being true, seems to me the biggest question in this whole passage is this. All these great things being true, why would we need encouragement? Why would we need encouragement to ask God to knock, to seek, and to do so freely and often and persistently? Well, we do need encouragement. That's obvious because that's why Jesus is making such a point of giving us this encouragement. This whole passage is to give us that kind of encouragement. I want to offer a couple of main reasons why we need encouragement in this area. I'm sure that there's more than two, but I think there's two very big ones. The first reason why we often find ourselves reluctant to ask, to seek, to knock, Um, is that we feel unworthy. We feel unworthy of the good things that God would give us. We feel unworthy of a relationship with Him. We feel unworthy of coming into His presence. Well, we are unworthy. But what has that got to do with it? Everything in the Christian life is stuff that we're unworthy of. Notice that Jesus refers in this passage to good gifts. He doesn't talk about good wages or good desserts. We love to give good things to our children, not because they've earned them, but because they're our children and we love them. And the same is true, only much more so, when it comes to the Father and us. The Father has already given us, now this is what we need to get, the Father has already given us His Son as a gift, which is the greatest gift possible. And He gave us the gift of His Son When we were His enemies, not when we were His children, when we were His enemies, God gave us the gift of His own Son. And now that He has given us His Son and adopted us as His children, how will He not also freely give us all things? That's the question that Paul puts to us in Romans 8.32. And of course, the question suggests the answer. If God has already given us the greatest possible gift, how is He then going to withhold from us anything? Because anything else pales in significance to the gift of God's Son, which He gave us when we were enemies. Now, there's a lot of times as we go along in the Christian life, as we're walking with God as His children, that we get the basics of the Christian life. We get God's love. We get His, we get His grace. But... We're not being particularly faithful. We're stumbling through something. We're failing in some area. 
our sin has come out in this area or that area. And it not just come out, but it's come out again. You know those sins? You know the ones I'm talking about? Again? And that voice in you is saying, again, you're guilty? You did it again? How many is this? A hundred? Three hundred? A thousand? Five thousand? How many times have you done this? How many times have you done this to other people? How many times have you afflicted the people you love with this? And here you are again. One more time. You've already asked God for forgiveness. How many times for this sin? And you said, I'm, I'm going to do better, Lord. I'm determined to walk away from this. And here you are one more time. And that's the kind of thing that comes up and we feel unworthy in that context. But we have to remember, that's why it's so important for us to remember, when God gave Christ to us, when Christ gave Himself for us, is when we were God's enemies. It's when we wanted nothing to do with Him. At base, we hated Him. We didn't want Him to touch our lives. We wanted Him, we wanted him to show up and help us every once in a while. But we didn't want Him messing with us, interfering when we didn't want Him around. That's when God gave us His enemy. And so everybody has besetting sins. You hear that? Everybody has besetting sins. They're different for each one of us. Somebody else's besetting sins, and I'm talking about the things that just run deep. It's not just something you do, it's who you are. It goes from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. There's no part of you that that sin doesn't affect. And so when God puts His finger on it and says, change this, you know, it's, um, it's like He's just saying, completely be a different person. Just completely step outside of yourself and be a different person. And you're going, yeah, but God, I can't get outside from behind my own eyeballs. How am I supposed to do this? How do I get outside of myself? I've got to be something different even to change this. But this is what, everybody has this, and they're different. We look at somebody else's besetting sins and we think, um, what's the big deal with that? Well, it's not a big deal to us, but it's something that's making them limp through life. But that's why God saved us. He saved us to show His love and to work with us through these things. And so we have to remember, He gave us His Son, and He gave us His Son when we were His enemies. So you're a child who's struggling with this or with that or these three or four or five things. That's better, far better than being an enemy, isn't it? Isn't someone who comes to the Father and says, Father, I have to ask your forgiveness for this one more time. Is that better than an enemy? That's not an enemy. That's a child. And so God encourages all of His children who struggle with besetting sins to keep coming to Him, asking, seeking, and knocking. And it has nothing to do with what we deserve. And we have to remember that grace, God's grace, His unmerited love, His unmerited favor, is not something He just gives to us once when He saves us, when He brings us to a point of, of turning to Him and repentance and receiving forgiveness. You know, we, we put so much emphasis on that point, and we should emphasize that point. But we oftentimes, I think, uh, unwittingly think that that's where grace comes down like a beam of light, and it stays in that one spot in our lives, and then we move on. That's when we got the, the big uh, grace uh, upon us. 
we forget that everything in the Christian life is grace. Paul says we stand in God's grace. In Romans 5, 2, we stand in God's grace. It's not something you get once. You're standing in it. You're swimming in it. You're breathing in God's grace with every breath you take. You walk around in God's grace. You live your life in God's grace. So everything in Christian life is grace from start to finish. And that's why Jesus is telling us, sinners, ask, seek, and knock. The second main reason why I think that we need a lot of encouragement to do this is that we lose heart. We lose heart. And we lose heart because we don't always receive the good things we're asking for, seeking, or knocking for. We don't always receive them right away. Or we may receive them in a different form. And so we lose heart. We stop asking, seeking, and knocking. We think that when we don't receive it right away, when it seems obvious to us that what we're asking for is for the glory of God, is for our good, and would enable us to serve Him more, also uh, would add to our own happiness and blessing and so forth. And we cannot imagine for what reason He would not immediately grant our request. And so we think, well, we, our faith falters at some point. We think that either God um, He's not as loving as what Jesus says, or He's too busy with more important things, we think, or we think that, well, um, God is a God of love, but he doesn't really love me. And, and we can easily imagine why he wouldn't. Can't you easily imagine why God wouldn't particularly love you? I can. And I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine why he wouldn't love me. I, I mean, I would find it very hard to love me. Don't you despise yourself sometimes? Do you find yourself doing that? Not really wanting to be around yourself? That kind of thing? Uh, And so anyway, we lose heart. We give up. Our faith falters. We fail to persevere. We fail to keep on in asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, this is something very important that we need to get. When Jesus preaches a similar sermon in the Gospel of Luke, he follows up these same promises by giving a a, a parable. And the parable is the one that's called the importunate widow. And he tells a story of a, a poor widow. She had no kind of status that would cause her to... Uh, come to the attention of the important people in society. But she had a grievance, and so she came to a particular judge. This judge is a wicked judge. He's always looking for, is this a wealthy person? Is this a powerful person? What can this person do for me? Well, this poor widow can do nothing for this judge, and so he keeps ignoring her. He won't give her justice. And she just keeps on asking. She keeps on coming back into court until finally... Out of his own selfish interest, he says, this, this poor widow, she's going to wear me out. And so I'm going to give her what she wants, just to make her go away. And Jesus gives the point of that story is that his disciples are to keep on praying to the Father, keep on asking the Father, and not give up. Now, when we hear 
that parable, we often think then, ah, okay, so the father is like the wicked judge. He doesn't necessarily want to give us good things. It's just, but if we pester him enough, eventually he will. But Jesus' point in that parable is that God the Father is not like the judge. That's the point. Even the wicked judge gives the widow what she seeks eventually if she keeps on and persists. And he's wicked. Jesus is saying your father is not like that. Your father is not like the wicked judge. He's like a father. He's looking for opportunities to give you good things. But then that gives rise to the question, why then does God often wait to answer our prayers? Why do we need to persevere? And the clear implication is that God's reason for not giving us the good things or opening the door right away is because he loves us. And it's really important that we get this. God's giving us the good thing is because he loves us, right? But God's making us wait and persevere in asking is also because he loves us. Perseverance, you see, develops us as God's children. Jesus had to persevere. Jesus was perfect. He had no flaws. He had no sins. But as a son, he had to persevere. He had to bear up. He had to persist. It was part of his perfection as the Son of God, and it is part of our perfection as sons of God. Paul says in Romans 5 that we glory in tribulations, in other words, trials, things that put our faith to the test. He says we glory in those uh, tests that are sent to our faith. Why? He says for one reason, because we understand something, we know something. He says we know that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. So let's break this down. We see that the way Paul presents this, that what he calls character, character is the goal. And character is shorthand for Christ-likeness. Okay? It means being like Christ, showing the same qualities as Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about with character. And that's the goal. That's what the Father wants to see in his children. And that's what the Father has predetermined and staked his name on that we shall come to be. It says that God is predestined that we shall be conformed to the image of His Son, so that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. So this kind of Christ-like character is the goal. And Paul says character is produced by perseverance. So perseverance is key in us coming to be like Christ. How do we get perseverance? Paul says it's through tribulation. It's through having our faith be put to the test. And Paul says it's understanding this that makes it work. In other words, simply having trials come into our lives, that fact in and of itself, even though the purpose of those trials is to produce perseverance and character in us, trials in and of themselves is not going to do the trick. It requires trials plus us understanding what's going on. Paul says knowing that trials produce perseverance and perseverance produces character. In other words, we have to remember not just Sunday morning when we have the Word of God open or when you're reading at home or when you're in a Bible study. We have to remember when we're in the moment and our faith is being put to the test. 
that's when we have to remember, ah, God sends trials. He uses trials. The point of the trials is to produce perseverance in us. And the whole point of perseverance is to make us like Christ, to give us His character. James says something very similar in James chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, there's that word again, we have to understand something in the moment if we're going to get this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, some translations will say patience or endurance, but it's the same Greek word that Jesus uses. Testing of your faith produces perseverance. And and then James says this, Let perseverance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So perseverance is an essential quality, for it is only by perseverance uh, growing to full flower in us that we come to be perfect and complete. How do we require perseverance according to James? He says it's through the testing of our faith. Tough situations that put our faith to the test. And one of the main ways God puts our faith to the test is by not always immediately giving us the good things we ask for. Not always immediately enabling us to find the things we seek. Not always immediately opening the doors on which we knock. So God wants us to persevere in asking, seeking, and knocking. Now, if you think about this, This whole thing about perseverance and character is something that we instinctively uh, get. Um, Imagine yourself, if you're reading a book or if you're watching a movie, and the main character in the story, the hero or the heroine, um, is always called upon in difficult circumstances to show character, to be honest when there's temptation to not be, to do the right thing, when everybody else is doing the wrong thing, when there's severe pressure to do the wrong thing. The, the main uh, character has to show that kind of character. And that's what we want to see in them. If they don't show that kind of character, we don't like them. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book where you didn't like anybody in it? Was it anybody you felt close to? That, that's not a good movie. It's not a good book. You don't like anybody. To, to really be drawn to the main character they have to, in tough circumstances, do what is right, even though it's, uh, it's easy to do the other. But we don't just want them to do what is right for a moment. What makes them a great hero or heroine is that the tough circumstances protract and they build. It gets worse. It gets tougher. And it drags out for a long time so it gets harder and harder and harder. And they bear a greater and greater cost for doing the right thing. And so we, as we're reading or we're watching the movie and the temptations begin to mount, what do we want them to do? We want them to persevere. We don't want them to follow, uh, falter. What makes them great, what makes them noble, what makes us love them and our hearts go out to them is that they do the right thing and they keep doing the right thing and they keep on doing the right thing with the right kind of heart. And so perseverance is something we want to see in all our heroes and our heroines. And this is something that God wants to see in each of his children. It's something we want to see in our children. We want to see our children come to the place where they not only do the right thing when all the other kids are doing the wrong thing, but they keep on doing it. We want them to persevere in that. 
And that's when our hearts go out to them and we are so proud of them. That's when we realize, you know what? They're growing up. This kid, this kid, God's at work in this kid. Because this kid is, is really uh, growing. And that's what we want to see. So this is why perseverance is so important to God and why it should be so important to us. Perseverance is a quality God wants to see in each of his children. He wants to see it come to full flower in us. And that's all part of us coming to full flower as God's children. So it is of the love of God that he gives us good things and answers to our prayers. And it is of God's love that he waits and he wants to see us keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. In fact, the Greek words here, in the English it just says, ask, seek, knock. That's, it's just in the present tense. But in the Greek, this is in the present active tense. And that's just a fancy way of saying this. In the Greek, they, they're very specific with their verbs. There's a lot of different shades of meaning. What it means in the Greek, basically, is keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and it will be open to you. That's part of the whole point here. Well, what does it mean then to keep asking and seeking and knocking? Well, of course it means that we keep petitioning God. That much is clear. But there's an art to petitioning God in the Bible. There's an art to asking God. There's an art to seeking. There's an art to knocking. And God wants to see it practiced by all his children. What is this art of asking? Well, this, it's just this. Here's the key to it. God loves to have his children tell him why he should grant their request. That's the art of asking. He wants to hear us tell him why. Why should he grant this request? And he loves it when the why we give him is according to his ways his purposes, and his promises as revealed in his word. By way of example, consider Moses' prayer in Exodus 32. God has delivered the Israelites. He's brought them out of slavery. He's brought them out of Egypt. And now Moses has gone up on the mountain. God is giving him the Ten Commandments. And the people, when Moses is gone, they make a golden calf and they start worshiping this idol. And so God says he's going to destroy the people. And then Moses pleads with God. He basically, he prays to God, but he's face to face with God. And, and he says this to God. He doesn't just say, God, I know that they deserve uh, your wrath, but don't forgive them anyway. What he says to God is this. He says, God, why should the Egyptians say among themselves, God brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Why should the unbelievers say that? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Jacob your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. Remember your covenant. Remember your promises. Remember that your name and your reputation you have irreparably and uh, are irreconcilably placed on this people. You've placed on them. And it is your name that is at stake. Moses doesn't say don't destroy evil even though they desert, uh, Israel even though they deserve it. He says why. And his why is based on the character, ways, purposes, and promises of God. And therefore, 
it appeals to God's own glory. Moses basically says, if you destroy them, then all the unbelievers will say, Jehovah is just like all the other gods. He's just like all the pagan gods. He's capricious and he's vindictive. But if you save them and you bless them in spite of their sin, then you will show the whole earth that you are the one true God and Savior. Now that's an example of the art of petitioning the Father. Now it seems like in this instance that God is being taken to school by Moses. But actually what's happening is Moses is being taken to school by God. These things that he's hearing from Moses are the very things that God wants to hear from him. He's instilling them in them. And so it's almost like God is, is play-acting a little bit. He states what the people deserve. I'm going to destroy them. The reason why Moses prevails upon God is because Moses is giving God his own ways. He's stating to God, this is who you are. This is what your character is. These are your ways. You're the loving and saving God. And that's exactly what God wants to hear from his children. Another example would be Abraham's conversation with God in Genesis chapter 18. God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of all the wickedness and all the outcry that's come up to him in prayer. But um, he says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In other words, that's the covenant promise that God made. And we know from the New Testament that this is fulfilled in Christ. Abraham is a blessing to all the earth through his greater son, Jesus Christ. And he says, I've known Abraham in order that he may command his children and his household after them to keep the ways of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, and that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And what that means is that God's grand covenant saving promises and purposes for the earth are inextricably tied to his purposes for each one of us. God saves the world, but he doesn't save the world apart from saving us and apart from working in us and bringing us to be his children and all that that means. And so that's why God says, shall I withhold this from Abraham? No, I'm going to tell him what's going on because I'm developing him as my son. And so he tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, Abraham knows that there's at least one righteous man there. That's, that's his nephew, Lot. And so Abraham basically says to God, far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so then God says that if there's only t even ten righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, he'll spare the whole cities. Well, there's not ten. There's just a uh, lot and a few family members. But what God does do is he delivers them. He does not treat the righteous and the wicked alike. And this is another instance. It seems like Abraham's taking God to school. Actually, God is taking Abraham to school. And this is what God wants to hear from us. Now, these are grand uh, purposes here, destruction of cities, destruction of God's people, those kind of things. But this same kind of rationale applies right down to the mundane things of our lives. Making the mortgage payment, needing a job to make ends meet, needing to get an education, needing God's blessing on your marriage, 
needing God's blessing on your children, needing God's blessing on your local church. It goes right down to the, to the very small level. God wants to hear the same kind of thing from us. He wants His children to tell Him why according to His character and His promises and His love and the greatness of His name. Uh, he should grant these good things to us. So that's the kind of asking and seeking and knocking God wants us to bring to Him and to keep on bringing to Him. He wants to see that we're asking for the right things, we're asking for the right reasons, we're coming to know Him more and more, we're coming to show the character of Christ and perseverance more and more. And this is very important to God. It's very important to God that we understand these things and that we keep on asking, that we keep on seeking, that we keep on knocking and telling Him why. And we're giving His word and His promises back to Him. It's very, very important to Him and it's something that should be important to us. And unless I badly miss my guess, I think there's probably at least some area of your life where maybe you have been asking or seeking or knocking. And God has not been giving up to this point. And you're tempted to lose heart. You either think, well, I'm just not worthy. I wouldn't grant my own prayer. Why should God grant my prayer? You think you're unworthy or you're just losing heart because you're forgetting the, the importance of perseverance. When God's heart swells with pride on our behalf is when we show the character of Christ over the long haul, persisting in tough situations. It's God's love that makes us wait. And it's God's love that gives us the good thing. It's all of God's love. We stand in His grace. He has made you His child. He desires this relationship with you. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.